This year is the year of hope, and we're talking about not, not only what we've been given, but what it is we are to give. We are to live hopeful and be helpful. And, and to share that, we, we, want to, we want to make known how God is at work. And there's so many ways you can do that, so many different methods. But in our world where social media is so strong, I want to encourage you to utilize social media. If you look in your bulletin, there's actually a couple of tweets uh, that were put out this week that were encouraging to my heart and to others, and so they put those in there. But we want you to hashtag hope is, and then share quotes, stories, pictures, things that, that remind you of the hope that we have. As we, as we go through this year, my, my prayer is that we will grasp this vision to live hopeful and to be helpful to be a people who are identified as those who have a living hope, who don't just attend living hope, but who have a living hope. And we share that hope by being helpful and, and allowing others to engage in this life, this life that transforms. Now, to do that, we're, we're kicking off this year by, by starting off in Matthew chapter 9. And this whole series is live hopeful and, and be helpful. And here's what I want to encourage you again to anticipate, even this morning as we're opening up the Word of God. Anticipate different things happening in your life and, and focus in on your life. In this series, you know, we're going to get practical in our approach. So anticipate that. Anticipate we're going we're gonna to talk about practicalities. Now also, we're going to get personal in our application. Now, again... Let me tell you the easiest thing in the world to do with a sermon is think about how it applies to everybody else. Oh, I hope my wife's listening to this one. Oh, I hope, I hope Joe's listening. I know the Lord's speaking to him right now. And the, the easiest thing in the world to do is to, is to apply the sermon that is being heard to everyone but yourself. Friends, this is meant to be personal. Those of you who love prayer, those of you who are moved to pray, yes, you're going you're gonna to tend to think, well, I wonder why more people aren't praying. And for those of you who share your faith, who go and evangelize so easily, you're going to tend to think, well, I don't know why more people don't share. Listen, personalize this. Don't worry about if, if everybody else is getting it. Make sure you get it. And make sure it's, there's an application. Don't just leave here. And we're going to get perspective in our outlook. And so today we're going to get some heavy, we're going to get some heavy perspective. I'm just going to tell you right now, this is probably going to bother your heart a little bit. I know it's bothered mine. I know these thoughts are not comfortable. They're not meant to be. There's a problem. There's pain. And we need to identify that. And we need to be ready to do something about it. And we're going to get prayerful. We're going to be much more prayerful this year. We're going to get passionate in our prayer life. And you're going to be hearing more and more about that. Those of you who are here Wednesday night, you know that that third Wednesday night of every month, we're going to have a specific focus and a unique focus around tables to pray together. And you'll be hearing more about that as, as we go forward. But today we're going to talk about one of the great challenges to living hopeful and being helpful. And that is simply opening yourself up to changes that will be required in order for you to do it. Because again, there's a lot of folks who say, you know, I, I, I wish I could live hopeful and be helpful. And remember what wishes produce? They produce, produce feelings. And, and there's a lot of folks, a lot of well-intentioned Christians who say, you know, I, sure, I wish I was more prayerful. I, I wish I was more evangelistic. I, I wish I was leading more people to anchor their hope and life in Jesus. But wishing won't do anything except affect your feelings. When you begin to hope, 
when you begin to hope in the power of the Gospel, and when you begin to hope in the power of God to transform, and you begin to live hopeful, you will be compelled to act, and you will be helpful. And there will be a difference that is made. The question is, is not this. Let me make sure you understand what the question is and what the question is not. The question is not, do I have time to lead more people to, to anchor their life in hope in Jesus? That's not the question. Because look, I get you're busy. I'm, I'm busy. I was talking with a pastor yesterday, and we were talking about the challenge of being evangelistic in, in a large church setting when you're pastoring a large church. Because here's the reality. I, I'm up just a little bit after five, and I'm, I'm, I'm out many, like this week many times until eight or nine o'clock handling family needs and, and ministry responsibilities. And, and I realize everyone is busy. And, and most of the time, if you've been saved for any amount of time, you have, you've insulated yourself with other Christian people. You know, as a pastor, here's, here's, <laughs> here's a picture of my life. I often uh, resonate with the principals, the school of principals that attend our church. I say, you know, our life is very simpler, similar. We, we often spend most of our time with the, with the really good ones and the really bad ones, don't we? <laughs> we spend our time with the ones who are excelling and those who are struggling. Oh, oh, to get sent to the pastor's office. It can be really good or, right, a little scary to enter that some, for some folks. But as, as we were talking, we were talking about the necessity of making space of taking things that we're doing and redeeming them. I'll never forget the conversation I had with a guy who said, you know what, I don't serve in church, but, but I, I coach my son's basketball team, and, and that's just like serving. And, and I said to him, you know, it, it is similar as long as you're using it for an evangelistic purpose. See, God is not necessarily saying that we've got to necessarily stop doing other things where we engage in the lives of other people. What I believe God is wanting us to do and calling us to do in the Great Commission, which, by the way, is to go and make disciples as you are going. There's the assumption that you're going to be out busy. It assumes that you're going to be engaged in real life, but that you redeem that time. So to the dad who is coaching Little League basketball or baseball, listen, your job is not simply to make them good athletes and good players. Your job is to lead more baseball players basketball players to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. For those of you who are school teachers, your job is not simply to teach school. Your job is to teach students to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. For those of you who are students, your job is not just to learn the material and make good grades and excel academically. It is for you to lead your teachers and fellow students to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. And, and to, to do that, you've got to make space in your heart and mind. You've got you to be willing to, to engage at that level. You have to give some things up. Things like, you know, maybe a night of not doing something instead of having people over to your home. Lost people over to your home. Uh, maybe we have to give up some of our privacy and private time because if you're going to make disciples, you're going to have to let people see your real life. You're going to have to let them see that you really do have dirty laundry that sits out and dirty dishes that don't always get clean. You're going to have to let them see that, that life is, is, is not what you would find you know, on a, a, you know, a, a magazine or something. It's real life. And you're going to have to give up being unengaged with what's happening in other people's lives. You're going to have to really talk. But here's what I want to tell you. Here's been my personal experience and what I see in the Word of God. Whatever you give up, God fills up with His power and His love. And there's nothing more fulfilling than joining God where He is at work and experiencing His power and His grace and His mercy and His life flowing through you. So as we look at our text today, 
I think what we're going to see is an opportunity to experience a fulfillment of life unlike anything else this world can supply. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to Matthew 9. I'm going to ask, ask Carson Berger to come up. Carson's going to read our scripture for us today. If you didn't bring your Bible, let me encourage you to take the one that's in the pew there and go to Matthew chapter 9, and let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And Carson is going to read for us Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, which is our text for today. So Carson, if you would, go ahead, buddy. Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the household, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your, your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Word of God. Thank you, Carson. Excellent job. If you would, go ahead and be seated. In our text today, we see what happens when Jesus becomes your hope. Understand, when, when Jesus becomes your, your anchor, the anchor of your life and hope, there, there's some things that you're going to do. And, and don't worry about writing these down because we're going to talk about this in the sermon. But understand, you'll, you'll leave sinful ways behind. You'll just do it. You, you'll lead others to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. And you'll live a life that Jesus applauds, but that the world criticizes. What we see Matthew doing is he's leaving behind a life of sin. And we see him leading others to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. We, what we see happening here is, is a life that Jesus applauds, but that the world criticizes. Now, I, I want to pause here, and I, I want to answer one of the questions that, that often people ask, and that is this, how? How, how do I lead someone to anchor their life and hope in Jesus? What is, what is a way for me to explain this? And I've used different methods. I've used Romans Road. It's good. I, I, I've, I've used the four spiritual laws. I've used different tracks. I have found something. I tweeted about it last night and again this morning. If you have a smartphone or a tablet, I want to encourage you to download this app. But this is a, something you can show on a napkin. I, I've given you space there in your bulletin, in your sermon notes. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw this. I want you... To, to get a sense of it. I want you to start off by, by making three circles on that paper. Just make three circles, and inside those circles, write this. On the top one, put God's design. On, on the one to the right, brokenness. And in the other circle, write gospel. These are the three circles of the conversation that, that you can have with anyone at any time. And what's so great about this app is it does all this for you. All you do is, is press your finger and go across the app. And you can share this with someone. But I like to share it on a napkin. And one of the things you have to understand is, and it articulates, folks, is God's design is that we be holy and that we be at peace with God and with all people. We've talked about this for years now. There's one God who created all things to be in harmony. We were meant to be in harmony. That's why death disturbs us so badly. That's why pain and suffering do not, do not jive with us. We know something's wrong. We know that there is brokenness. Now, where does brokenness come from? I want you to draw an arrow, and I want you to, to put the word sin. All pain, all hurt, the source of all human brokenness is sin. 
The reason why there is suffering and death is not because God is weak, but because we turned against God. And the world we live in is the consequences of our sin. And we're now in desperate need. There is a brokenness in our own lives that we're born with. There's a brokenness naturally in relationships. Things tend to fall apart. But there's the gospel, the good news of God. And if we will repent and believe, we can be saved. And so we go from brokenness and depending on ourselves to gospel where we repent and believe. And that's what it requires to be saved. It's so important that we explain this to people. That salvation, salvation is not simply something you understand with your mind. It's something you do with your heart. You acknowledge that you have sinned and you say to God, God, I am wrong and I want to be right. And so I turn away from my old life on my own. I repent and I believe that you are the living God. I believe that you are God who became flesh, that Jesus is God, that you, God, died for my sin, that you, God, have been raised. I believe in the gospel. And once you believe in the gospel, you begin to pursue God's design. How do you do that? Through recovery and pursuit. You begin to pursue God's design in the Word of God. You begin to recover God's design through repentance and the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit. And the good news is that God is at work in all of this. This is not something that we have to do on our own and figure out. God is doing this. We simply join God in what He's doing. He's provided the Gospel, and so we repent and believe. He's provided His Spirit, so we, are, we pursue and recover God's design through His power. Friends, I want you to have this, and I want you to share this. As you are living hopeful and being helpful, as you are leading more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus, use this as a means to say, this is how you do this. You go from brokenness to gospel to God's design. You explain the reality of the world in which we live. Now, Matthew didn't have a cool app or, or a, a napkin means that we know of to share the gospel. But what did he have? He had a heart that was open to God's work. He had a heart that was open. You know what his open heart led him to do? It led him to open his house. Because as soon as Matthew was saved, what we see in our Scripture is that that night he has what some of us have come to, be, come to know as a Matthew party. Write that, that phrase down. Matthew party. What is a Matthew party? It's a party where a Christian intentionally invites over believers and those who do not know Jesus, lost people, so that they can introduce those lost people to Jesus. That's what a Matthew party is. You can have a great Matthew party in a few weeks uh, when the Super Bowl is happening. You say, I don't like football. Good. You won't be distracted by the game. You can talk with people about Jesus. You can introduce them to Jesus. You have to, you have to though, open your heart to this idea that the, the, the Final Four is coming. And I know you UK fans, you've already made plans. I get it. I appreciate it. And, but you know what you can do? You can have friends over, even Louisville fans, okay? And, and you can end Vandy fans, which are no intimidation whatsoever. You can have them over, and, and yeah, you can watch the game, but meanwhile, you have a Matthew party. What's a Matthew party? It's a party where you have redeemed people and lost people, and the purpose of the party is so that you can introduce them to Jesus. That's what we see happening right here with Matthew. 
We see him willing to lead more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. And he opens himself. There's some, some things I want you to see that he's opening here. And then I want to challenge us to do the same. Write it down. Take note on this. To lead more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus, we must open our lives to Jesus' way. It's a way of life, friends. It's not a one-time decision. It is a way of life. Matthew 9, 9, look. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Now, to to follow Jesus, Matthew was going to have to give up a life being a thief and a bad guy that nobody liked. He was a tax collector, and tax collectors were known for for stealing from their own people. They were, they were hated amongst their friends. They didn't have friends. They had, they had people who despised them who were of the same people group. And Matthew had to become a friend who blessed rather than an enemy who used people. He had to be a good guy people could dress rather than a bad guy people avoided. And this would require a radical change in his life. It would, ha- it would change the way he looked at the world, and it would change radically the way the world would look at him. Now, this sounds very simple, but it's not. When you begin to walk in the way of Jesus, when you become a disciple of Jesus and you begin to follow His way, it takes energy. It takes emotional energy. Because here's what I want you to know. If you open your heart to God and you begin to follow Jesus in the way of Jesus, you're emotionally going to be strained. It's going to impact the way you feel deeply about yourself and around about the people where you work and, and live and, and, and learn and play. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take physical energy because you're going to have to give effort, physical effort, to go out of your way to engage people in conversation. You may have to take on things that you don't necessarily like doing. If your neighbors like working out in the yard, you may have to go work out in the yard with them so you can have a conversation with them. It may require you to, to study things you don't necessarily like to study so you can have conversations with people where you work or where you learn or where you play so that, so that you can engage them in what's going on. You just don't sit there and say, well, they know I'm a Christian and if they want to be saved, they can come and talk to me. No, 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 no. It, you have to engage them. That requires energy, emotional energy, physical energy, mental energy. You have to begin to think God's thoughts after Him and the only way you can do that is by studying His Word. You have to understand what's happening in the world and speak to it from a gospel perspective. Not to be critical and mean-spirited, but to simply bring light where there is so much darkness in our world today. And that requires energy. And it requires spiritual energy. As we rely on God. Matthew had relied on himself. He'd been a self-reliant man. He was a self-made man. Yeah, he was a thief and a robber, but he was rich. And now he was no longer able to rely on that way of life. He was going to have to give up that financial security And now he was going to be walking in the way of Jesus, and he was going to have to live a life completely dependent upon the Spirit of God to provide for his every need. And so it is with us who are going to step out and live hopeful and be helpful. We can't save anyone. We can't change anyone's heart, but God can. And so we have to join him in prayer, and we have to be willing to exert that energy and participate. To open our lives to Jesus' way will mean for those who are insulated Christians, and some of you are, some of you are like me, almost all your close friends are Christians, almost all your close friends have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to have to uninsulate yourself. You're going to have to figure out ways to get connected with people who are not Christians. Some of you who are compromised Christians, what does that mean? That means that 
You claim Christ as your Lord, but no one would ever accuse you of it because you're compromised. You're compromised in your dealings. You're compromised in your actions, in your word. You've allowed sin to enter into your life. And when people look at you, they don't look at, at, at a person who has the light of life and the hope of Jesus. They just see another sinner who claims sometimes to be a Christian that they would probably title hypocrite if they were real honest with you. And you're going to have to cease being compromised. You're going to have to seek after Christ, repent of your sin, and be a light that shines. And some of you are, that are indifferent, that is, emotionally disconnected, not involved, not concerned, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to engage. Now, this is hard. And the only way you can do this is to, to be in God's presence. And so take note, to lead more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus, we must open our lives to Jesus' presence. Look in verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, Youngberger did a good job of, of adding uh, an article there, but there, was, there isn't one there in the ESV, and it sort of frustrates me a little bit that that's such bad grammar. Uh, read it in your, in your ESV. It says, as Jesus reclined at table, the ESV translation is a direct uh, and, and sort of rough translation. And so you, you put it up, uh, Kai, Aginato, Altu, Anexi, Menu, in Te, Oikia. All that means is, and existed him, Jesus, reclining in the house. That's the, that's the direct translation. The NIV gets it right. The NIV is not a direct translation, an NIV translation. If you have an NIV Bible, the NIV Bible gives you a description. It gives you a sense of what the exact Greek says. And so the NIV says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. That's what's happening. Jesus is present in Matthew's life. Jesus is present in the home of Matthew. Jesus is not an idea to defend. Jesus is not a concept to hold on to Matthew. Jesus is Emmanuel to Matthew. He is God with Matthew. Please understand, Jesus wants to be with you. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you're walking in the way, Jesus is with you. He wants to dwell in your life and He wants you to be aware of Him. How awkward would it be if you traveled a long distance to be with a friend or a family member that you love very much if they ignored you all day long? Imagine that, if you will. Imagine traveling thousands of miles to be with a family member or friend and making great sacrifices to make the trip so that you could be with them to bless them and love them and guide them and care for them and they never spoke to you. And they never had a meal with you. And they never acknowledged your presence in the room. How many Christians do this with Jesus? Every day. Well, I gave him a couple of minutes in the morning. I said, good morning. I asked him to bless my day. Did you talk to him to the rest of the day? Well, no. Well, that's awkward. Have you dined with him? Have you truly, have, have you truly dwelt with the Lord See, it says in John 1.14 what Jesus came to do. And the Word became flesh and dwelt, that is, housed among us. 
and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to, to be housed with us, to dwell with us, for to be present with us as we go through life. He didn't come to be a tool we used. God came to be the very presence of God in our life, and we've got to open that door to Him. A lot of people read this passage in Revelation 3.20 and they think it's an evangelistic passage. And possibly it is. But, but I know it's certainly a passage for Christians. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Have you opened that door? Do you daily, every morning, do you open that door and say, Lord, come feed me the Word. Come be present through the power of your Holy Spirit. How many of you are living in the presence of Jesus? Say, how can I know? Well, if you are, He will emotionally strengthen you. He will physically strengthen you. He will mentally sharpen you. He will spiritually renew you. But only in as much as you live in His presence. And you've got to understand, something's going to happen to you if you do this. It's powerful. Your heart will be changed. And take note, to lead more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus, we must open our lives to Jesus' heart. Look what he was doing in verse 10. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Friends, hear this. Hear this clearly. Jesus loves lost people. He loves them. He is like... He is like the father who ran to meet his son who had rejected him and squandered all of his gifts. He is like the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go and find the lost one. He is the woman who sweeps the house until she finds that coin. And when she finds it, she calls all of her neighbors together and celebrates and said, look, what was lost has been found. Jesus desires to bring salvation to the people you know who are not Christians, who are not followers of Jesus, who are not living in the way of Jesus, where, where you live, work, learn, and play. He loves them. He cares about what's going on with them. Here's what you need to understand. He, he sees how they, how they feel about what has happened to them and what they've done. He, he sees what they are going through and the fact that they're on their own. And here's the kicker. Jesus sees what lies ahead of them. Eternity without hope. Years ago, I had a dear friend whose apartment caught on fire. He was renting an apartment that was connected to the house of a member of our church. And the house, the fire was, was internal. And he escaped out of a window from his bedroom. He was able to go around and to uh, get uh, that other family out. But because of where the fire was, he had a dog who he kept in a kennel cage. And there was no way he could get to that animal. And that animal burned to death. And he struggled with that. He, he struggled thinking about the fear that that animal must have felt. And that feeling that, that it had been abandoned by the one who was supposed to take care of it. And then the pain and the suffering 
that the animal endured. And as I think about that, I, I think about how awful that is for that animal. And then I think about how awful that is for many people I know who feel abandoned by God. Who think that they think that no one cares about the pain that they're going through. And they're trapped. They're trapped in sin. They're trapped in pain and darkness. And without a radical saving work, they will spend an eternity in agonizing pain with no alternative. My friend could not get to his dog. But God, God did get to us, didn't He? God left heaven. And He came and He dwelt with us. And He lived a holy life. And He died that we might be forgiven of our sin. He has conquered not only sin through His death, but death itself through, his re- through the resurrection. And now all who believe will be saved. And I'm going to tell you this right now. If you will spend time with that resurrected God, if you will live in His presence, if you will feel what He feels and know what He knows through the truth of His Word, it will change your heart. But be careful because it will break your heart. But let me pause here. Because I may be talking over your heart right now. Is your heart broken for the lost? Is it really? When was the last time you shed a tear for someone who was on their way to hell? Jesus cried all the time for lost people. Jesus wept at death. And dying. He cried, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times have I tried to gather you? The gospel has come. The good news is here. Do we care? Now understand if God moves your heart, you're gonna to begin to you're gonna to begin to lead more people where you live, work, learn, and play to Jesus. And not everybody's going to be happy about that. As a matter of fact, you're going to be criticized. So go ahead and write it down and understand. To lead more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus, we must, be op- we must open our lives to Jesus as critics. Now remember, when they criticize you for your faith, they're criticizing your Lord. Verse 11, And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Has anyone ever criticized you for loving sinners too much? Now understand, to be with sinners is not to live like them. It is to be among them, to show them another way. Again, if you're a compromised Christian, you're not going to be affected. First, you must repent. If you're an unconcerned, uncaring Christian, you're not going to be affected. You need to spend time with Jesus and get His heart for these people. But understand this, if you begin to live and walk among the unredeemed and invite them to your home and sit at their lunch table and have conversations with them about salvation and the coming of the judgment of God and and the reality of sin and God's design and brokenness in the gospel, if you have those conversations, you will be criticized and praise God. So they did with your Savior. So they did with our Lord. 
Last thing. Jesus' response was remarkable. It's reasonable. And, and, and what we can grasp to is the reasonableness of the criticism. To lead more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus, we must open our lives to Jesus' reasoning. Why is He with lost people? Why is He having these conversations? But when He heard it, He said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, there are those in your circle where you, where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play. And they don't think they need to be saved because they don't think themselves sinners. And here's what you need to know. They will not seek salvation if they don't think they need it. And one of the conversations that you will need to have is about the reality of the fall of man and the reality of a, of a tarnished soul that we're all born with and the holiness and justice of God. See, a lot of people don't think they need salvation because they don't believe that God is holy and just. So, I, you see what's happening in our world? Satan has deceived us into thinking that we're really not that sinful and that God's really not that holy. So if we're really not that sinful and God's really not that holy, well, there's really no need for salvation, is there? And I wonder how many of us have bought into that lie. Well, I, they're okay. They're good people. They're nice folks. I wonder how many nice folks are going to be in hell. Because the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But where there, there's sin, there's, there's grace, and grace abounds all the more. And what God has done to bring redemption is true and real. The question is, is it our hope? The question is, is it moving our heart? The question is, are, are, we, are we being criticized? The question is, are we living in the presence of Jesus? The question is, are we living hopeful? If we are, we will be helpful. Here's what I know. Here's what I know I had to do in my life this week. Is I had to get on my knees and I had to say, God, my God, I am worried and concerned about so many things. And I fret and I fume. And a hundred years from now, almost none of them will matter. What does matter is that almost eight out of the ten cars that passed me by on the streets of Bowling Green are filled with people who will stand before a holy God and be sentenced to an eternity in hell. Eight out of, almost eight out of the ten homes that you will drive past today, almost eight out of those ten are on their way to hell. And Jesus loves them. And Jesus can save them. And the way He has chosen to do that is through our going to them and living hopeful and being helpful to lead them to anchor their life in hope in Jesus. And if we won't, who will? If you won't, who will? 
And so this morning, as we come into this time of invitation, here's what I know about the majority of us in this room. We need to ask God to burden our heart for the lost. Some of you need to come and be saved. Some of you need to come and ask God to bring salvation to those the Lord has already burdened your heart about. Friends, if your heart is not burdened, something's wrong. And you can't fix it. Only Jesus and His presence can fix it. So why don't you come today and let your heart be burdened by the love of God. The love of God. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Lord, I, I know that there's, there's many of us, me included, me this week, who, who I've had to say, Lord, forgive me because my heart is burdened about many things, but not the most important things. So, Lord, would you now hear the prayer of some who come to say, Lord God, forgive me because I've ignored your presence who come and say, Lord, forgive me because I've ignored the reality of the lostness of my neighbors and my friends and my family. And maybe even today they would lift up the name of a neighbor or a friend, someone where they, where they live, some, maybe it's someone that they work with or where they learn where they go to school, where they play a game with a sport, where they're involved in activity, God, that they would ask you to save them and that you would use them to do it. God, we just have a couple of moments here. So don't let us waste any time of coming and confessing and asking for your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.